We met in the springtime when blossoms unfold. The pastures were green and the meadows were gold. Our love was in flower as summer grew on. Her love, like the leaves, now have withered and gone. The roses have faded, there's frost at my door. The birds in the morning don't sing anymore. The grass in the valley is starting to die, and out in the darkness the whippoorwills cry. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to another very special interview we have for you today with another the the fucking hell with another. <laughs> Keep it. See, I don't even have. Edit that out. <laughs> I haven't had any coffee, and I can't That's speak. I'm trying to speak too fast. <clears throat> Hang on. Just use the use the professor Snape voice. It's nice and slow. Hello and welcome <laughs> to another very exciting interview with none other than Troy Baker. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best Alan Rickmans I've ever heard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. If you can be more droll, though, I think that would help sell it. That's what, what that's what it's lacking. Okay. It's the drollness. I think I need to experience some great sadness to channel that. <laughs> yes. Talk about your childhood. Right. He, see, what's so funny is he'll he'll be always be you know you know Professor Snape to most people now, but he's still Hans Gruber to me. <laughs> is that is that weird? Well, I still remember him as the the Sheriff of Nottingham in that um, in Robin Hood. In Robin Hood, and he was brilliant in that. <laughs> which which is great because Michael Wincott played his cousin. Yeah. And I have ripped off Michael Wincott for decades. Brilliant. And just I love that because it sounds like he swallowed a lawnmower. <laughs> he's got the coolest voice, and he plays Death in the new Darksiders. And so oh. I, I finally got to work, and I finally got to meet him. He's just a mensch, just the greatest guy in the world. It was fantastic. That I, I just I just interrupted your intro, didn't I? Oh no, that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't okay, cool. I, don't I wasn't sure. Ever happened. Yeah, we just do we need it? We don't need it. I'm not sure. The, the show that needs no introduction. Should I just awkwardly cut it out from another interview and just stick it at the start? <laughs> yes, <laughs> just dub it. Featuring Troy Baker. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Mr. The best Blank. edit ever. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, we're here now, so we should just go. We over, are. I suppose. Now, according to your blurb that was sent over to me, your yes. rocker turned actor. Yeah, I I started off, um, you know, as as a musician. I, I I knew, you know, from from just a wee lad, mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to be a performer. It was just in my DNA. Um, I I said that my you know my first stage was our we had this brick fireplace in, in our home, and I would get up there and just perform one act plays, which were just awful, but they got reviewed very well. Brilliant. Um, no, uh, but I I so music kind of came naturally to me. And um, I, I started learning instruments from an early age and got into a band. And it's, it's really funny how, you know, people say that it's not that you choose your path. Your path kind of chooses you. Hmm. And uh, while we were doing our album, 
the studio that, that, that we were recording in did a lot of commercial work, like, you know, um, adverts and whatnot. And so I popped my head in the door one day and I was like, hey, let me get into radio. And they kicked me out. And then two weeks later, they called me back and they're like, if you're still interested, let me see what you can do. And so I started doing car commercials. And, and one day while doing a uh, uh, this, this one job, I met Christopher Savage, who's, you know, most famous for being Vegeta in, in Dragon Ball Z. And he kind of took me under his wing and his tutelage, introduced me to anime, and I started doing, you know, voice work for that. And then I got into video games through a friend of mine um, who was the audio lead at Gearbox, um, doing Brothers in Arms. And so I kind of stumbled into doing video games that way. And it's just been stumbling after the next job, you know, for the last, I guess, you know, seven, eight years now. Um, almost, almost 10 years, yeah, 2002, 2003. So it's, I mean, I'm the luckiest guy in the business to be working, but, and it was really cool because I've always been a gamer. And so to be able to find myself in, a, in an industry, working in an industry that I normally was just, you know, geeking out over is, is kind of a, it's kind of a plus. It's a pretty good perk of the job. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will know you from Final Fantasy 13, Catherine, yes. Mass Effect 3, and Simon and I loved you as uh, the uh, default male option in Saints Row the Third. Thank you. That was, that was, and we're still working on the game and, 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 you know, God bless Volition and THQ for, for making that game. And it's, to me, it was, it was really great because I, I played Saints Row 1 and Saints Row 2 and they were great, but they still kept, they kind of felt like they wanted to one up Grand Theft Auto. Mm. And, um, I think what GTA does is, is great. Vice City and 3 are still my favorite of those. After San Andreas, they kind of shit the bed. But, um, because I, I do not care about Nico Bellic. I actually wanted him to die more than Cousin. anybody because he's he sounded like Yakov Smirnov, the comedian from the eighties, all of America. I was like, shut up. <laughs> but we, um, I, I think, with Saints Row the Third, they finally said, you know, just screw it. Let's let's do let's make our own kind of game, and and they just blew it out of the water. And if for whoever played as the default male voice, thank you. Whoever you know played as uh, Laura Bailey's character, she did a fantastic job. And they would record me first, and then everyone else would come in. And all they had to do, they they had different lines, you know, so they made a really different personality depending upon who you chose. But uh, they had to match my timing. And I found out that I've got. I'm a shitty actor, to be to be really really <laughs> honest with you. I'm, I'm just rubbish. Right. But for some reason, people like it. But I, I I found out that I the the line can be very simple. The line can be get in the car, and for some reason, my natural read is just, get, just get, get 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 in the car, man. Get in the get in the car. <laughs> and so everyone had to match that timing, and they're like, "What the fuck is this, Troy? We can't match this." <laughs> So I alienated myself from a lot of my friends. Like Robin Atkin Downs, like like was like, I hate you. I want to punch you in the face. I hate you right now. <laughs> Did you play the uh, the uh, the slightly offensive uh, Cockney London voice as well? That that was Robin Atkin Downs. And right. By by his own right, his his pedigree. I mean, he's he was born and raised in in London and moved okay. here. And that's and all right then. Yeah, he's 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 a, he's allowed. My my piss poor fake British accent passes at times, but then I get called out by him and like people like JD Blanc who are like, "You're saying it wrong." I'm like, "Don't judge me right now. I'm doing my best." But then I give them shit when they try to pull up a Texas accent too. Can we can so. we hear some of your my your British? Accent? So you can you can make fun of me? Not necessarily. 
it depends because what I've actually learned or tried to do in, in J.D. Blanc, who uh, I don't know if I can say that he's in this yet or not, fantastic actor. And a lot of people will know him from uh, Count of Monte Cristo. He played the, the pirate captain. Um, he's been in a ton of stuff, both VO and, and on screen. He's a wonderful dialect coach. And uh, he's got both French. Uh, his, his mother was French and his father was British. And so very interesting family growing up. They hated each other, um, <laughs> constantly fighting. Um, but neither just both, both very, you know, sophisticated. Hmm. Um, but he, he started helping me kind of dis you know, uh, disassociate between, um, you know, like being a Londoner and being like the Northern, uh, Northern England, kind of that, you know, using, using a little bit more music in the way that you talk. So, um, we like did stuff for, uh, Dragon's Dogma. I apologize. I was one of the pawns, um, and being able to, you know, pull in more of, uh, you know, the proper British, you know, more of the Queen's English or, or more of, uh, you know, the northern London or northern England, or you know, be like a Southie. You know, you got a bit of Cockney in you. Um, so that wasn't bad. It's not. It's not bad. But there's, you know, with every American that tries to pull it off, you can hear there, there's just certain certain. You guys have certain, such a manner of speaking that's that's so unique. I'm an Nolan North and I are pretty much the same. We're we're both Anglophiles and are counting down the days to where we can get off this rock and and where civilization is, and that's in Europe. <laughs> but uh, which hopefully will be I'm, I'm supposed to be coming to uh, to London hopefully in May um, for uh, for a convention which is next it's May, been... I assume. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, this, this past May I, I've got a DeLorean out front we're gonna hop in <laughs> and you guys will an when we talk I will have already been there <laughs> it's be fantastic. Um, so yeah so yeah it's it's accents um, I don't know. I've always kind of been able to do dialects, but as I get older, I think they kind of, I realize that's a shitty accent. I don't do that anymore. Um, and some of the better ones that hopefully are, are getting somewhat better. But yeah. Troy, do you live under a flight path or are you just in an airport at the moment? Are you, are you hearing this? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, <laughs> I, I live, I live about 15 minutes away. I mean, LA is so, you know, just, just tightly packed to get together. Mm. I live about 15 minutes away from Burbank airport and I am, when, we, when, when I got this place, I was like, oh, this place is beautiful. But we got here in the evening, so there wasn't much flight traffic. And then I realized the next day, I am right in the flight path of Burbank. So they're, uh, they're mobilizing the fleet as we speak. And uh, so, yeah, you'll hear that. So I apologize. Awesome. Well, that's fine. Um, now, a quick question that we ask everyone yes. we interview. Would you rather fight a dozen duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Oh my god! I think I would rather fight a horse-sized duck. But first, if I could have a conversation with him to find out how in the fuck all that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does he have? I the think vocal that would be cords, more intriguing. Though? What? Does he have the vocal cords to to sort of communicate? We would, through modern sign language, be able to, and in empathy, be able to. Unlike Counselor Troy, I can sense. What as a Star Trek reference? Should right. I not have done that? No, that's oh. fine. That's fine. We'll move on. Because I think the other, I think the, I think the duck-sized horses would just be annoying, and I would feel bad because I'd have to kick them. I, I would have to launch mm. a duck-sized horse, and I don't think I could do that. But the duck, I would have no problem killing a duck. I love horses. I think I would have a problem slaughtering many horses. Right. Hor horse, horse size. Horsey. Horsey, I believe. Horsey. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Is the proper nomenclature. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it works. Okay, well, that's that's an interesting answer. Yeah, at least that's if you kill the question. massive duck, you can feed a family. 
for like a True. week. Mm. That's what I would do. I would just travel throughout the country, just you know, breaking off pieces of the duck, going, <laughs> "If be well, roast this three fifty, baste it with nice butter and brandy, and we'll be fine." Okay. No. All right. Well. Okay. Yeah. So we killed that one. <laughs> That's uh, that was fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put that on the back burner. We might we might <laughs> use that one. Um, now into the questions. Yeah. Yes. So the first question was, do you play video games? But we we know that you do now. So let me change it to, what's your favorite video game? It's impossible. It's like you know, Sophie's <laughs> Choice. You know, I don't. I don't. It's so weird because I. I honestly am. I when I played, uh, I remember the first time I played Uncharted. I was doing a movie, and a friend of mine let me borrow his PS3. It had just come out, and uh, he was like, "Dude, you have to play this game," and he gave me Uncharted. And so I did what any good friend did. I, I immediately went out and picked up Assassin's Creed and played that, <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of got turned off a little bit because it was just so repetitive. Mm. Um, and then I finally sat down and played Uncharted, and you could not pry my PlayStation away from me. It was it. I brought it to, to the set and put it in my trailer and um, played it one as soon as I got home. And, and I knew then that that was the game that I've been waiting for everyone to make. Um, just because of the set pieces, the, the performances in it were great. The story was fantastic. I'm such a Raiders of the Lost Ark fan and an Indiana Jones fan. And the, my God, they found me. Um, Los Angeles Police Department. Um, they're just going to be bombs start dropping in a minute. <laughs> pay no attention to it. No mind. They'll, they'll go away shortly. Um, but I, uh, I I knew then that, that video games as we knew it were going to change. That having a narrative in a video game was, was forever going to be different. And I mean, I go back to like PS1 and, you know, even Atari 1600. Um, so to see how that evolved. But it, it's so hard to pin down like what my favorite favorite game is because every game has really kind of been different. I mean, right now I am playing, do you remember Zuma? Like it was a PC game, you're a little frog and you spit out balls and it's like a maze game. I played that game, I know, it was, I played that game like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago and they just put it out for the iPad and I can't, I'm thinking there may need to be an intervention because I am playing it incessantly. <laughs> I've beat it countless times, but I don't know. I'm. I'm. And there's other reasons why I love. I mean, I know it's a cheesy thing to say, but I love Call of Duty. I love, um, I, especially the new Spec Ops stuff that they just released and the new maps. Mm. It's gotten incredible. But I, I still, I'm, I'm still waiting for you know the kind of game that it, I, I like. Immersive games. I like adventure games. Uh, survival horror, if they're done right. If it's gratuitous, I don't care. Um, RPGs are hit and miss with me. Um, I love Final Fantasy. It did take for ever to get through. I mean, that's like an investment. Yeah. Mass Effect, same thing. But I like, with an RPG, being able to have the alternate endings and choose. Laura Bailey is the one that loves RPGs. And she takes it very, very seriously. Her husband, Travis Willingham, will like mess with her game and like go in and say, you know, do you want to kiss her or do you want to slap her? And you're like, slap her! Ha <laughs> you know, Just to piss off the, the storyline. Yeah. But I like, it's, it's like, it's like music. I like any game that is done well. That's That's what I can appreciate. When when it's not just, you know, hackneyed and slapped together. I love a game where someone, you can feel the passion from everyone, from the level designer to the to the art direction, to the performance, to the writing, to the gameplay. I, I like those kind of games. So have you ever been in a game that you haven't liked as a voice actor? Oh my God, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's really frustrating being on this side of it because, you know, 
perfect example, and this is not to, to you know, knock anyone's work or, or anything, but I, we did uh, binary domain. And, uh, I, okay, easy. Um, <laughs> I'll do the bashing here, thank you. Sorry. Um, it was, you know, we, the experience of it was, was fantastic because, you know, we, we got to go over to Japan and, you know, do full mocap um, for, for the game and we were there for two months. And so, you know, there's, there's such a, a great endearing to that project for me because it was, it was like camp with, with fellow actors in, in a mm. country and city that I absolutely love. But um, there's a moment, you know, when it's just a, a VO role, a lot of times your the amount of um, uh, latitude you get to be able to change and influence the character is is much more narrow than it is when you're doing full performance capture. And there were moments in the game where I was like, this is that moment where as a gamer, I get frustrated. Because if I'm standing there in front of the boss and I've got my weapon in my hand, I'm not going to let this guy monologue. That's why, you know, in a game mechanic system, you'll always you'll somehow be stripped of your weapons or stripped of your power. Or you're taken captive and you're forced to listen to this exposition. So that much I don't have a problem with. But when, it's, when it puts me in a situation where I feel like I would make a different choice, and that's with any game, that automatically takes me out. And that's, that's what pisses me off as a gamer. And so when you're in the process of making a game and you hit those moments, that's where I'm like, we need to change this because this fundamentally is, is contrary to what you're trying to achieve, which is an immersive experience that the, the player can ingratiate themselves to with these characters. So, I, I mean, I thought Binary Domain was, was cool. The game mechanics were cool. It's fun to kill robots. Um, but there's certainly been games where, you know, my performance, whatever, um, or, or the game I felt kind of missed the mark. And I think it's not to, you know, it's, it's not to the detriment or deficit of, of anyone who's making the games. I think it's everyone right now is, we're redefining video games as, as they've existed. And so it's a very frustrating, very almost embryonic phase of, of video games because where we started at, and where we're at now is is dynamically different, and that's a really hard challenge for game developers, um, for for even for publishers to figure out what kind of games people want to see, because they get pitched ideas constantly, and they have to choose a certain finite amount to be able to put out. So you know, if a game people are like that game sucks, you have to realize that there were a lot of man hours that went into making that game, hmm. and. It still somehow made it past, you know, like Lollipop Chainsaw. I was just reading a review on Lollipop Chainsaw. And, I mean, that pitch, if I was a publisher, absolutely I would have greenlit that game. It sounds like fun. So we got this really sexy, scantily clad high school chick with a chainsaw that kills zombies. That thing will print money. What a great game. The problem is, is that they, I think they invested too much in the pulp of the game than the substance of the game. Because I think gamers right now really, really want substance. And I think that if you don't have that element, you can have the most quote-unquote fun game. But if you're putting out a console title, you better have a really meaty story. You better have characters that people really care about. And you better have fantastic gameplay. The graphics better be top-notch. Because these second or third-rate games aren't cutting it anymore. And I think that's one of the things that's really crippled the industry is people trying to put out a game that they can make as opposed to the game that they should make. Hmm. 
See, you do know about games. Look at that. Jeez, this shit just got <laughs> deep. God. <laughs> one, one question, though, about Binary Domain. Did you get to yeah. meet Big Bo? Oh, yeah. Alem Sap, man. He's a great... We all work together. So we mm. they cast it here, and we flew over to Japan to do to do the gig. And it was Travis Willingham, Laura Bailey, uh, Johnny Youngbosch, Alem Sap, Nio Wallace. I mean, great actors. And it was... It was really interesting because I, I feel that you know Japan for so long has really had a um, kind of a, a corner on the market as far as making a really slick looking game, and then you've got people like Naughty Dog that come out and make an Uncharted title, and everybody it when you know it sweeps the awards Uncharted two on every award it just like was like the Titanic video games. And the movie, not the ship that went down, um, <laughs> just to clarify. And and so now I feel like everyone's trying to catch up. And Japan is great at making games like Final Fantasy or you know anything in that lore, like Kingdom Hearts or, or anything else. They struggle, I think, a lot of times when they try to westernize, just like when we try to make a Japanese title. It's like if we make a ninja game, it's not going to be as cool as when a Japanese game makes that because that's just it's more in their culture. So, you know, we as actors came over there and there was this clash a little bit between the East and the West as far as the East saying, we want to do it like the West and the West going, okay, well, this is how you do it. Like, no, we want to do it like this. And so it was like, well, listen to us a little bit. And the director was fantastic. But anytime you get, you know, uh, you know, kind of a committee together on everything, you have to, someone eventually has to step up and go, this is the way it's going to be. And sometimes it was a great choice. And sometimes I would have made a different choice. But yeah, I mean, all, all of us, and first of all, Big Bo was played by Alem Sap. That guy within 24 hours of landing in Tokyo, which again, when you're a six foot five of African American dude, you stand out. You mm -hmm. really stand out in Tokyo. And within 24 hours, he had that town wired. He was VIP in three different bars. He already had the <laughs> joints picked out where we needed to go. And we had, we had so much fun, so much fun in that place. 300, 300 yen for, was this one bar that we went to. It was like this basement bar, super small. And it's called 300 because you could get any drink in there for 300 yen, which is like, you know, three bucks. It's like so cheap. <laughs> so there, there were many, many foggy nights that happened in that little like, pub. Yes, I can imagine. Um, you mentioned that you, you said to them that you wanted things to change in certain points. What's the most you've ever changed a video game as a voice actor? The most that I've ever changed a game? Yeah. I think um, some of the most influence you, you feel that I've had. Yeah, uh, on certain parts of a video game. I really feel like The Last of Us is has been, you know, this has been a really cool, you know, year, year and a half because I've been able to work on, you know, two really heavily anticipated titles between Bioshock Infinite and The Last of Us. And both have had, you know, they have different processes. And so the way that we function is, is in different ways, but it still is towards the same goal, which is having, uh, you know, participation w between the actors and the directors and the writers and it being more of a, a, of a consortium of people making this game as opposed to just one person. But with The Last of Us, you know, it's, it's written so well and the story is so rich 
and you've got great people at the helm between Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley. Um, so I work more hands-on with Neil Druckmann, who's the creative director. He's the one who's you know writing the story, focusing on the performance, um, and the, uh, the the human element and, and the dramatic elements of the story. While Bruce Straley is working more on the gameplay and incorporating. So the two of them work hand in hand, and then we'll sit and we'll you know probably you know work once a month. And Neil will write. The other day we went through 23 pages of script for a video game. Is that's a, that's a big undertaking, and we spend a day, and we, you know, workshop those scenes. We'll sit down, we'll do a table read, we'll discuss the lines, we'll discuss the scenes, make sure that we understand where we're coming from, where we're going, what just happened, and then we'll go out and we'll get it on the, uh, on its feet, and we'll rehearse it for an entire day, and then we come back and we shoot. And there was this one scene that. Normally, it's like three or four takes, and we've got it. You know, first take was feeling it out. Second take was great. Third take was for safety, and we're moving on. There was this one scene that was a really important scene, and we were hitting six, seven, eight takes. And I finally just kind of sat down over the side, and, I, and Neil came over to me. He was like, are you all right? I said, man, I just need to etch your sketch because I've gotten so in my head about this. And I was like, can we just take five minutes? He goes, let's take 15. You would never get, not even on a film would you get that. The director would tell you, get your shit together. We got to get this and move on. He's like, take your time. So I went outside and I just had this moment of realization that the moment that we were trying to create stood alone on its own merit. I didn't need to do anything to make it more important. It was an important enough moment on its own. And I came back in. I was like, let's shoot this. And bam, right out of the gate. It was perfect. And Neil has that insight. He has that um, graciousness to be able to say, feel it out, change it. And lines change all the time. Blocking changes all the time. And I've never noticed or I've never had a, a game company be like, we will change our animations based on you. We will change our dialogue based on you. We can even change the story based on what you feel and what happens here. It's, it's really kind of this fluid influx thing but it's still, they know where they started from and they know where they're going. And so it gives them all this freedom to move around inside of it. So I, I definitely think that The Last of Us has given me the most influence into the making of a game and where a game is eventually going to end up. Okay. What would you say your console of choice is? It's so funny because I was such a diehard PS3-er. And I still am, but uh, you know, we, we really got heavily playing into in Call of Duty and and some of the online multiplayer games, and and so I bought an Xbox. Like, fine, because all my other friends had Xboxes, whatever. And so it it really varies between you know games. I personally like the PS3. The Sony controller has always felt more comfortable in my hands, um, and I love the graphics. I think you can pull more power out of a PS3. Um, the online capabilities of Xbox has always been a little bit stronger, but now, you know, since the press conference, you know, Uncle Jack talking about where they're taking PlayStation, um, and he gave everybody a, a free year of PlayStation Plus. I was like, <laughs> more people cheered for that than any announcement. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love you Jack Trenton. He's so lovely. Dude, he is. He is so natural. He, when he walked out, I was like, looks like Shatner, like a younger Shatner. He does. You're right. Um, <laughs> 
but he was just so natural and and that press conference was just such a great thing and everybody was waiting on bated breath to see what he was going to announce mm. and i think I, I love what they're doing i think they've got a leg up on what microsoft is doing with the smart glass um with the vita and i yeah. personally my prediction is that the vita is going to be the new controller they're going to bundle it in together and the processing power that the vita has to be able to play your console game and then turn around and walk away and play it on your vita i think that would be amazing mm. but um i like the interface of playstation better i like the graphics of playstation better and I like the exclusive titles. I know a lot of people, you know, wish that God of War had been on everything and, and uh, Infamous and, and uh, even Last of Us, you know, wish it was a cross-platform title. But there's just something intrinsic to the way that PlayStation runs that I feel you can get more juice uh, out of a PlayStation. I like playing Final Fantasy thirteen better on, even though it was the first year that, that Final Fantasy had been on Xbox, uh, it still looked better on a PS3 and played better on a PS3. So... Mm. I think at heart I'm still I'm still a PlayStation guy. Yeah. Was this your first E3? Mm-mm. It's been my fourth. Nice. And um, you know they had that weird break, you know. Um, but it's fortunately, you know, because it's a it's a trade show and it's not really open, quote unquote, to the public. Even though now it's it's becoming more and more. Um, there was a really kind of cool behind closed doors feel that that E3 has always had and. I actually like it more than Comic-Con because it is solely focused on games, which is what I really care about. And so you don't have the, you know, the Hollywood hoopla with TV and film, you know, capitalizing on, you know, that kind of pop culture thing. And I mean, I remember when Comic-Con was about comics and we were joking the other day, I was like, you know, the loneliest guy at Comic-Con is the guy that's going, hey, can somebody tell me where the comic books are? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's so hard to weed through all of the media that that's that's happening at, at Comic Con, but um, E3 this year was a really interesting E3. It was you could definitely feel, and everyone was saying it's a transition year because I feel like last year everything that we've been working for in console games specifically culminated into last year's E3 between the Call of Duty Battlefield fight and and Assassin's Creed Revelations and Force Unleashed Two, and you just really could feel that. Um, the power that was untapped in the consoles before had finally, we'd, we'd broken into that new ground and you saw the culmination of all that, not only just from a graphic standpoint, but from a gameplay standpoint, performance standpoint, graphic standpoint. And this year, everyone's really tenuous about where next gen is going to go. And so you, you could kind of, there were a couple of pop out titles but for the most part, it was kind of like, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens 2014 or 2013, you know. Mm. So I think that next year will be another really big, huge, you know, first year of, of next-gen console titles. Um, so I, it, it, was, it was an interesting year, but it felt very calm. It felt very quiet. Mm. Um, I don't know. Did you guys get the chance to see anything of it? Uh, we watched the live stream. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, That's about as well, close as we can get. What Wonderbook game of the show. <laughs> What's that? Wonderbook, isn't that the name of it? Yeah, what'd you think of that? Oh. Favorite favorite part of the Sony conference. Though. Yeah. <laughs> all twenty all twenty minutes of it, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were sitting there going, We get it. We mm. get it. Please, please yeah. move on. Please move on. I hope if that tech demo was any indication, I hope it's that difficult to get set up at home as well. I can't wait for that. Well, it was so great because you finally got it was it brought a moment of realism to the whole show because the guy was like all right, guys, it's a live demo, remember. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and it, 
open the gate to see what lies beyond. Mm. Open the gate to see what lies beyond. We're like, oh, God. God, here we go. <laughs> open <laughs> the damn gate. <laughs> With your wand to perform the Wengardium Leviosa. Um, but it was it was cool, and that's you know it's not the it's not my demographic, but I think for you know the the five, seven, and eight year olds who are gonna be playing that, that's can mm. you imagine having that as a kid? Oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? That would be incredible. So I mean, it, I, I I applaud PlayStation for for pulling that off because I think they're they're really trying to show that the move is a viable product because everyone was pushing for that they want this you know immersive interactive thing and and the Wii was was a runaway success and so Xbox kind of came late with Kinect and then PlayStation was like well crap we got to come up with something too and people you realize now just really love to feel that tactile normal traditional controller yeah so it's how do we make this a viable product um, and not lose our ass when you were um, were you at you were at the Sony conference right yes when they were demoing The Last of Us, did you see the uh, the guy who was playing it on stage who was stood like an absolute boss with, that the, was, with the light that shining was, down? What was going on there? That was Bruce Straley. And it was very strategic. You know, everyone came out before and they were like, this is our game. This is why we wanted to make it. This is what you're going to see. And then they would play. And Neil and Bruce both were like, no, we're just going to let the game stay on its own. And so the lights went dark <clears throat> and... You hear, I mean, in full surround, I mean, there was stuff happening. And what a brilliant concept to start off gameplay in the dark, hearing all this action that normally traditions to say, you show that. You show mm-hmm. them being chased. You show them running. And they're like, no, we're going to start it with them slamming a door. Yeah. And okay. we're going to start it in the calm. And what I loved about that was, you know, everyone said that it was so scripted and the game's really on rails. And what they're, they're using this term called wide linear, which means that it's definitely moving in a certain direction, but the direction and how you move within that is, is totally up to you. You'll have three different paths that you can choose. And they built this incredible AI into Ellie because they want her to feel like a person, not a game mechanic. Mm. And so what the, what the uh, press conference demo showed is Bruce Straley um, playing it one way. And then when you did the behind closed doors, which was a longer demo, it was a much different path that he chose. And Ellie's actions were different. Joel's actions were different. The enemies that you were fighting, their, their actions were different. The environments were different. Um, but I love everyone's doing, I don't know if you guys have seen this, uh, the pose that he did. And it was so funny because I thought he was just standing there trying to look like a badass. But he had a, he had a five-inch screen at his feet, and that's what he was playing off of. Right. I believe the pose is <laughs> so, called the Bruce. It's called the Bruce. The yeah. power is in the stance. And so everyone now, after E3, and he gets, it was so, so great, is I don't know if anybody really really saw this, but he threw down the control. Yeah, yeah, like a mic. <laughs> like and then, and then fist pumped as he walked off the stage, and I jumped up from my seat, and I just screamed, like a pimp! Like a pimp! Walking <laughs> off that stage like a pimp! Yeah. It was, and the place just erupted in, into applause. Yeah. And I thought it was the best showing um, of the entire press conference. But Br- And that's, that's just Bruce. There's, there is no, there's no pretense with Bruce Straley at all. He's just, he's just a badass. And it, it's so funny when, I don't know if you guys caught this, but on uh, Jimmy Fallon, which is a late night show here, they were on uh, Jimmy Fallon the uh, night before last. And as soon as they, they were showing the demo, 
And, and Jimmy's like, well, let's watch the game. And so they all turn around and, in, and instinctively, they all three take the stance and the, <laughs> completely, you know, just like subconsciously. That's so, right. Uh, I, I think it was great that he became this, you know, wonderful little E3 meme. Mm. So, there weren't many, were there, that came out of this E3? Not as many as they usually are. No. And I, again, I think it's because it was a, you know, a transition year. So everyone, again, is just kind of like, we're gonna we're gonna take More this coffee. one. We're gonna set this one out. Yes, actually, my lovely fiance just walked in. She looked at me like, "Can I make a coffee? Is that okay?" I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> "Oh, the guys know what we're doing. It's yeah, fine. It's okay." <laughs> so we're running out of time, I think. So let's just skip to the Last of Us questions. Sure. Uh, you co-star on The Last of Us as Joel. Uh, yes. What's it like to work with Naughty Dog after the success of the Uncharted games? It's it's first of all, I mean. It, I, Dream come true in, in every sense of the term, and I don't use that, you know, flippantly um, because of my love for, for Uncharted and Naughty Dog, you know, going back to Jack and Dexter and, and, and what they've been able to accomplish in video games. I mean, that's, that's working with the best. It really is. And especially with this title, you know, they're always Uncharted 2, top to Uncharted 1, Uncharted 3, top to Uncharted 2. So they're constantly trying to not reinvent the wheel, but just make it a slicker, more efficient, better run, better badass wheel. And the process that we have, taking our time and really making sure that, you know, it's not just a game about bashing, you know, infected or, you know, hunters or whatever and, and shooting people, but really getting the sense of this, this story exists as, as a relationship between Joel and Ellie and not just the relationship with each other, but the relationship that they have with this post-pandemic world, how do you survive in that? How do you, as a 40-year-old man, guide this 14-year-old girl who has only known this through this horrific space and still show that humanity exists? Even, even in the absence of population, there's still a, an element of humanity. Mm. And um, I love now, I'm so spoiled with, with performance capture because... Being able to do the voice is one thing. It's it's awesome, and I love just having that tool in my toolbox to use. But when it becomes me occupying this character in this space, that I feel is where performance, at least in video games, is really going. So to be able to be a part of that process and you know this this kind of a game with that kind of developer, that's I I, I don't. I don't see how I can talk. I, I want to because of being able to you know, working on Batman Arkham City and uh, now Transformers and Saints Row and, and several of these games. Those are great games to be a part of and anybody would clamor to be a part and, and to be a pedestrian in one of those games. So, But there's, there's a huge amount of pressure. Naughty Dog feels it. We feel it um, because we know that we have to deliver. This game has so much hype that, it's, that there's, there's a little bit of fear. But there's absolutely no doubt that it will. It'll actually, I don't think anybody has any idea how good this game is and or what it's even about. They've seen snippets and those have whet the appetite for it. But once you actually see the meat of what the game really is, it's going to blow your expectations. Hmm. So if, if you had to choose between <clears throat> the performance acting with Naughty Dog or something like what Ellie Noir did with the amazing facial animations which would you want to use more absolutely categorically what naughty dog does okay and i'll tell you why ellie noir the 
we can keep talking about this because this is a big thing. If you guys have time, I do. Um, I think what Ellie Noir tried to do was incredibly noble, but they did it in piecemeal. So you would have the, the body capture, the mocap. Then they focused so much on the tech and, and showcasing their tech and how good it was and how polished it was and how realistic it was. And then they tried to marry the two. And that's why you got the floating heads. And <clears throat> as good as their tech was, I, I can't help but think that when they were capturing this, the director didn't trust the tech fully because it was all about nuance. You know, when you're doing the investigation and you can kind of, you know, look at the, the little ticks that people have to give away whether they're lying or telling the truth. And those nuances were exaggerated. Yeah. Which is not the way they are in real life, which is what they were going for. And to me, it was almost like, yeah, I, I, honey, I see what you're doing with your eyes, but just give me a little bit more because we're not sure if that's going to read. And with what we're doing with, with Last of Us, you know, we're, we're in the suits and we're in the volume and we have these great sets and props to interact with. And they just have like a three or four camera set up on us and they're using video reference for the animators to animate to. That's it. There's no camera on my face. There's no dots on my face. The animators are that good because at the end of the day, you can't beat a good animator. They're just so good. And one of my favorite shots so far has been for the trailer where Ellie and I are backed up in the bathroom, our, our, um, uh, our backs up against the wall, and I cock the gun and just that, mm, that, that, that wince. And it wasn't like, and Joel winces. It was just, that's what you would do if that happened. You're like, shit, I just gave away our location. And they captured it. They got, it was a little subtle thing, and they were able to translate that onto the character model. That's impressive. And that has nothing to do with tech. I think with Beyond, it looks fantastic. But again, if, if, and David Cage focuses on story, I'll give him that. But if he, the thing that he showcased before he showed Beyond with, with Kara, or Kara, however you say it, was the tech. Look how, look how good it looks. You know, it's, it's so realistic. It's so this. But people don't care. Do you know, do you know why people love listening to a violin? It's because it's slightly dissonant. It's out of tune with itself. We as humans don't like perfection. We are naturally drawn to imperfection. So I think that if your focus and your goal is to achieve this perfect look, it is actually didactic and people will be repulsed by it because we like, we like that, that slight disconnect with the imperfect. That's what we're drawn to. And so I think if you're focusing on the story, you're focusing on the dialogue, you're focusing on the gameplay, those are the things that make people gravitate towards a great game. If all you care about is how slick and polished it is, people won't like it. How's that? That's, for uh, that's interesting. <laughs> Holy crap. And I step off my soapbox now. Uh, well, well, slightly more simple question. Sure. How long have you been working on The Last of Us, Troy? Um, we started, uh, I, I got my first call, I think it was right before... It was in November, um, so it was before the holidays and of 2010. So we, we started working. I mean, they've been in, they started production on this um, right at the tail end of Uncharted 2. So, I mean, this has been in production for a while. 
Um, and I can't believe they were able to keep it under wraps for as long as they did, you know, to mm. be able to basically go two years and announce at the VGAs in, in January that, or December, that, that's huge. So, you know, we had been working on it for a year when they finally announced the game and we've, we've got a long way to go. We're, we're definitely not going to rush this. That's why there hasn't been a release date that's announced is because as soon as you do that, you're locked. You have to release on that day. I mean, Bioshock w was able to push, but people are going to buy Bioshock regardless because they know that it's going to be a great game. So if it pushes six months, fine, or pushes four months, fine. Um, but The Last of Us is going to be done when it's done. And there's really, that, that's the only way you should do it. And that, sh that speaks to how confident they are about making the game. Hmm. In Uncharted 3, there was, a, there was an Easter egg. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it was a newspaper that that sort of um, in the uh, bar, yeah, in the pub in London, yeah, yeah, yeah. That hinted at the at the events of the Last of Us. Are they going to be in the same universe? Are there going to be Easter eggs back and forth? I I don't know if they're planning on doing anything like that. You know, I, I know that with Neil especially doesn't want this to. Everyone's talking about wouldn't it be great, you know, if Nate Drake made a cameo or you know whatever. <laughs> He'll be angry and, by then. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm Nathan Drake, and I used to. Sit. Um, but I, I think that you know Neil wants this story to stand on its own, and this is a totally different kind of game. It's it's whereas Uncharted is this pulp adventure, uh, Last of Us is this survival horror game, and in, in the truest sense of the words, hmm. and so it's not. They both take place, you know, in a realistic earth <laughs> you know countries yeah but it's um I, I don't think they want the the cross you know they want they don't want people to think that this is just another uncharted they're trying to distance themselves as much as they can not to discredit uncharted it's just that they want this to stand alone as much as they can hmm. yeah i just want to say I, I really i like what naughty dog's doing because big companies that make resident evil and dead space they seem to be drifting away from survival horror and then you get this this like action developer suddenly making what looks like the only survival horror of this caliber really impressive i i am i am as a gamer i am impressed by what they're doing and you're right it is a it is a monumental undertaking for a developer especially when you're really good at doing something typically people say just keep doing that and when they're like screw it we're going to try and break the mold yeah. on a, a new kind of genre that's that's a that's a huge undertaking and to me it's how, it's the way that they're doing it. What and they're breaking it down. What does survival really mean? And what really is horror? Survival means that you are scavenging, and every moment of your life is tense. Even when you sleep with one eye open, you may not eat that night. You may find you have to get really creative about what you use as a weapon in anything. If I was in that kind of situation. Anything, a rock, a stick, anything becomes a weapon, mm -hmm. not a gun, not a super rifle or anything like that. It's, it's, I have to survive because that's what I do. And I think so, once you understand why you survive, why wouldn't you just give up in that world? Reading The Walking Dead or even watching the show, everyone, every character hits that point. They're like, why are we doing this? We've lost. The world is gone. Why do we continue to survive? And that's the conversation that matters that's the important question why does joel give two shits about surviving why does ellie want to survive so and is that a main theme from the game i for me personally that's that is the constant question 
that Joel is asking himself is why am I doing this? Why am I here? You know, and, and there's so much in the story that leads up to that, that, that feeds into that question. But at the end of the day, Joel is a survivor because that's what you do. You don't give up. You may not understand why, but there's something, there's that, that primal thing in him as a man that says, I don't quit because you don't quit. That's, that's, that's my existence. I could have no arms, no legs, and somehow I'm going to find a way to move. Not because I'm a hero, but because there's something ingrained in me that says you just keep doing it until you can't do it anymore. But throughout this game, you hit these moments where it just becomes harder and harder for him not to just give up. It's, 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 I can't wait for you guys to see it. It's so good. <laughs> I can't but wait. Then you, also, <laughs> you also look at horror. Most people say horror is these creatures that are chasing you. And that's an element to the game. Yeah. That's you know, when you're chased by something that has been infected by this fungus that has erupted from its skin. That's horrific. But it's equally horrific when you are surrounded by people that are just like you, that are as hell-bent on eating tonight as you are. It's horrific when you are in this desolate place. and You have no idea what's behind that bush, in that car, in that house. Am I going to be able to find something that's going to sustain me? Can I find shelter? What, how am I going to protect myself? That's horrific. So that's, that to me, is a, it, this is the first true survival horror game because it takes into the fact those elements. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you might not eat on a certain night. Does that mean that you're going to have to be looking for, for food or is that just done for you in the narrative? It's, it's definitely a part of the narrative without giving too much away. Okay. Um, whether it's a game mechanic, I, I, I haven't heard that yet. I think it'd be freaking okay. awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this, this next question is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Okay. Since the E3 uh, trailer, Ellie looks much younger and people have been saying, well, maybe that's to make her look less like Ellen Page because Beyond has Ellen Page. Sure. Uh, and the voice actor, she's from What Women Want, and she's now 29 or 28 years old. Yes. And I just, I don't feel like the voice matches the age of the, the person in the game. I totally understand where you're coming from, and a lot of people felt the same way. This is what it is truth to me about it. Number one... Um, they changed the character model. Character models always change. If you look at the original Nathan Drake and the original Elena from Uncharted 1, even when they put you know, Uncharted on the Game Informer magazine, Elena had brown hair, and then she went to a blonde hair. It was just a character iteration that naturally, organically happens in any character. So that's, that naturally happens. It had nothing to do with Ellen Page, but what happens is when someone says, hey, that looks like so-and-so, once you get that in your mind, that's what you see. Yeah. And especially when you're seeing it everywhere, of course. I mean, it's like if you squint, like if I if I looked up at these clouds and I said, "Oh man, do you see that elephant?" You could see that elephant. It's just the power of suggestion. So, what they wanted to do was number one, it looks so much like Ashley Johnson to me. It's it's incredible. I see Ashley when I see Ellie. And what they did was they're like, she looked a little too old, a little too mature to really sell the fact that there is innocence in this girl in the midst of all this, you know, chaos. And so they, they changed a few of the features to make her look younger. 
and the hair color and the, and the nose and everything else, that's, that's more of a committee coming together going, what to us when we look at this girl, does that say Ellie, a 14-year-old girl who grew up in this world and has seen some shit, is capable of handling herself, but there's still this naivete. So that's why Ellie looks the way that she does. As far as it being played by you know, a 28-year-old woman, Ashley is a top-notch, first-rate actor. And if you were 14 years old, came equipped with a switchblade, you know, um, and, and grew up watching society as you know it completely crumble, there would be a maturity to you. There would be a, a, an essence of, I had to grow up fast. Yes, yeah. so that's the argument the, that Ben always tells me. But you just said, once you have something in your head, it's hard to get rid of. these. I mean, there's thousands of people that agree with me. Don't you think that if that's in their head, it's going to be jarring throughout the whole game? No, because, I mean, again... If you think the voice doesn't match, no? I think that, I mean, keep in mind, people have seen a total of 10 minutes of the game. They've seen a trailer. They've seen another small snippet scene, cinematic scene, the truck ambush scene, and they've seen a five-minute demo. So, I mean, mm. altogether, out of you know a 12-hour, 10-hour, however long it's going to end up being game, you've seen a fraction of it. So it's, and then there's all of this media surrounding it with people's opinions. So, and I don't think any of them are wrong. I think they're just all impressions, and then that's all they can be. I once you play the game, and we can talk afterwards, and, and you tell me what you think. But yeah. to me, after working for the you know this long on on the game, I I really just see Ashley is Ellie, that and, and I just see Ellie. I see this when we're in the moment. She's a 14 year old girl that I'm frustrated with, trying to convey this is why we have to do this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So she she plays it so well, but. That what's so interesting is when you have, I mean, and I'm sure you've known people, or maybe you're, you're like this as well. You know, something traumatic happens to you at an early age that forces, like Travis Willingham, my, my closest friend, his father died when he was 15 years old, and he had to grow up. And it wasn't until years later that he was able to finally deal with that. And there's this struggle that we have as humans. There's a natural evolution to our age and our maturity that go hand in hand. And if we somehow skip that, if we jump past that, there's still something in our developmental evolution that says, I need to be a 14-year-old. Even though I'm functioning as a 28-year-old or a 20-year-old or 16-year-old, I still need to hit this year. And if I don't do that, I, I'll, I'll be in conflict with myself. And I think that's what I love about Ashley being older. Because if we had a 14-year-old girl, it would be a 14-year-old girl today playing it, no matter how good the actor was. Yeah. To have this adult that's in a child's body because she had to grow up faster is such an interesting choice. Such an interesting choice. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm uh, it's reassuring it. that, you, that you don't see it. And maybe it's just because we've seen the character change between two trailers. Maybe when the right. game comes, we'll we'll get used to it. I think so, and I mean, I think that you know most people. Um, I mean, you, you look at even in film, you know how we've seen. Oh my, my God, the uh, the Jack Ryan movies. Uh, we've seen several iterations of of Jack Ryan, from you know Alec Baldwin to Harrison Ford to you know Ben Affleck, which that movie didn't exist. But you know, to me, Jack Ryan was Alec Baldwin, and then all of a sudden Harrison Ford came along, and they're like, well, no. I've I'm totally by that. Jack Ryan is Harrison Ford. And so I think that we, 
people say that they resist naturally resist change and I don't think that's true I think that we resist change until we see a benefit and once the benefit is there we totally openly accept change if you won the lottery tomorrow that would be a change to your lifestyle and you would readily accept that <laughs> you know so I think that once once you guys are able to to see more of it and that distance uh, that there'll be some distance between those memories and you'll be able to go I don't even remember what the old Ellie looks like this is all that I see mm-hmm. To the best of your knowledge, will the Last of Us's story stay as gritty and desperate throughout the entire game? Even more so. I think that what what you've been able to see so far and what's been shown gives a look into that world. There's there's parts of the game that, to me, I always go back to like uh, Modern Warfare 2, the no Russian level. That was a very visceral not gratuitous, but strategic moment of the game where you had to make, in in a game where the entire game is about destruction and shooting and killing and blowing up and just, you know, spraying bullets, walking through that airport, I don't know anybody that wasn't impacted by that. And it had this moment because it was so intense and you were walking and you maybe had to shoot once. But being in that situation, to me, what we saw in the demo for E3 already topped that. And that, to me, is probably at a five or a six for the rest of the game. There's moments that happen where it's there's some tough decisions to be made. And there are some really, really hard, visceral moments. And they're not gratuitous because they serve the story. They serve the characters. But as far as it being gritty, aesthetically... Will always look like that, and there's there's some environments that that you haven't seen yet that are even more so. Um, but there's story elements, there's character moments, there's there's things that will happen that, yeah, it, you, you, it'll be as gritty if not more, definitely more. Perfect, you've sold me. <laughs> um, Available 2013. <laughs> we got a release here. Uh, they, they've said 20, I, I messed up in an interview and I said you know 2013 they were like way to go I'm like I thought we I thought we knew that we knew it wasn't <laughs> so but they officially I'd be surprised announced it, yeah, if it it'll, was it'll 2013 that, that would cool. be too long to wait so um, now we want to talk a bit about Bioshock Infinite because you also yes. played a lead in that yes. as Booker DeWitt um, again how long have you been working on that game we've been working on Bioshock for I mean February of 2000 uh 2011. God, my, my years are running together. We've been working on Bioshock for a while, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, to 2011 is when we I think we first started. You know that famous video that came out. You know of of me yelling at Courtney Draper. That that was in February, and that was actually her callback. You know they flew us out to Boston, and and we were in this super tiny VO booth. <laughs> working because it's you know they're doing a different process it's not they don't need performance capture but they do get facial animation for uh, uh from courtney for elizabeth and it's I, I knew immediately with bioshock that it would that the main challenge that i had was they're breaking the rule of essentially a, an fps a first person shooter which is giving a voice to that first person character you don't do that because it's supposed to be the player is that person. And the second that yeah. you start speaking, people can, you know, there's the potential for them to distance themselves from that character, which is antithetically, you know, diametrically opposed to what a FPS is. So uh, I sat down with Ken and I'm like, man, we, we've really got our, our, our work cut out for us because how do you take someone who's this stoic, 
soft spoken, doesn't say a lot, you know, uh, former Pinkerton agent and convey emotion, intention, hesitation, intensity, all of these things with your hands. That's, that's a lot because it could come across really, really flat and, and, you know, Booker just being disinterested and, and, and monotone. And so it's, it's been a constant challenge. And one of the things that Ken told me goes, I need you to trust that Elizabeth is there to sell your intention by her reaction. And a lot of times we can judge a lot of, of what somebody said off of the person's face when they say it, you know, the, the other person, the reaction to that. So we've really had to, to trust that. And, and again, being able to take the time, I mean, obviously Ken is okay with taking his time, you know, when you push a release. <laughs> um, so, you know, and there's a lot of retooling that they're doing to making sure that, you know, I, I think personally, you know, you've got a really um, interesting challenge when, as you've seen from, from the trailer, you have a, a companion character or AI character that can essentially control reality. She can instantiate these holes, these tears in, in reality. And that's part of the fundamental game mechanic. You know, you can either shoot or you can have Elizabeth say, uh, you know, instantiate that skyhook over here so that we can get out of here. And that's a really interesting challenge because the player could be like, well, why don't I just play as Elizabeth? I want to do that. And how do you have this relationship between two people? And I think that plays to the story when you have one person who says, this is how you fight, and another person who is discovering a way to deal with life and to fight, and the two of them working together, and which is the better decision. That's a very interesting story element, but it's a really, really challenging game mechanic. What's it like working with the eccentric Ken Levine? He is every bit of his... The, the eccentricity is definitely there. And, and the one thing that I love... Shut up, Blaine. <laughs> the one thing that I love about Ken is he's absolutely devoid of any ego. And with, when, when someone is, is as successful and revered within the gaming community as Ken is, people, gamers respect him. You know, and, and filmmakers respect him. He sat down with Guillermo del Toro, and Guillermo was like, you know, geeking out over, you know, him being the Bioshock and System Shock creator, you know. So Ken definitely garners respect. And what's so great is that he's incredibly approachable. And he'll write something or he'll come up with something. And when he says, what do you think? He really means that. He really wants to know the, 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 your, your feedback. And... I love, there's been several moments where we're recording, he'll look at the script and go, oh, this is just shit. I don't know why I wrote this. <laughs> you know, let, let's, let's come back to this. Yeah. And there's never a, well, this will suffice. And even if it is maybe more of a, this is kind of what I want it to be. Let's just get this down, put it in the game, and let's see how it sits. He's totally open to that. So there's been a lot of things from like, haven't we done this already? He goes, yeah, 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 it needs to be better. Again, the key to a successful video game is iterate, iterate, iterate. Constantly be changing, constantly be evolving. And to not marry yourself to that material is something that takes a really, really unique thing as a personality trait to be able to successfully pull off. So everyone's like, what's it like working with Ken? I'm like, dude, I'll let you know. So far, we're just playing. You know, we're just, we're just having fun with it. So there's yeah. very little work that goes into it. Yeah. Do you uh, do you know if it's going to be set in the same universe as Bioshock One and Two? 
No. Uh, and, you know, really Bioshock 2, Ken will tell you, you know, he told his story of Bioshock and Bioshock 1. Yeah. Bioshock 2 was kind of something, you know, the bastard, you know, child of, of that series. Um, so with, with Bioshock Infinite, it's a completely new world. We're no longer in Rapture. Uh, you know, even chronologically, it takes place, you know, several years before uh, Bioshock 1 takes place. There's no crossover characters. It's, it's really, I, I don't want to... Uh, pigeonhole into this, but it's almost like it's the same as Final Fantasy. You know, you have certain elements that are the same, but the characters and the stories and everything else are the same, so it's almost more using Bioshock as a brand name as opposed to a uh, franchise name, if, if that makes any sense. Hmm. So, you know, and it's it's really, it's, it's so interesting when you have something as successful as Bioshock, not just, you know, commercially successful, but critically successful. People love the story, they love the feel of it, to, again, fundamentally shake up those things and go, okay, so being under the water was successful, so let's do the opposite of that, and let's put it in the air, and, you know, these kind of characters were successful, okay, well, let's completely shake that up and do this, mm. and then incorporate these different game elements like Elizabeth and a companion character voicing the protagonist, doing all of these things. It's, it's, it's a really, really bold, uh, auspicious undertaking that Ken has. So it, it, I want people to expect something different, but then allow your expectations to be open because go in with an open mind because it's a completely different experience than, than Bioshock or, or um, even Bioshock 2 or even System Shock 2. Hmm. So do your voices from Last uh, sorry, does your voice in Last of Us differ to Bioshock or, or are they kind of the same? No, and, and that's, you know, obviously... I wanted to make sure that I, I was being as far away from, you know, Booker to Witten that, that they didn't sound like two different characters. And that's, that's kind of a trap that, you know, in film, you can get away with that. It's like, wow, you're a successful actor. You can, mm-hmm. you're in all of these movies. But once, once you get into the video game world, people really start going, oh, we don't want, you know, Master Chief being in this game because we don't feel people will be able to divorce themselves from that character. And so I've really had to be cognizant of that. And it's not like I'm really affecting my voice. I mean, naturally, like you've heard in, in the trailer and the gameplay demo, um, you know, Joel is from Austin, Texas. He's, he's got this, you know, southern drawl to him that isn't charactery. It's not like I'm doing, you know, John Marston from Red Dead or anything. It's just I, when, when I went in, and there wasn't anything in the character description that said he's southern. I just saw him and I was like, I didn't want this guy to have, like, he needs to talk like he's from Texas. For some reason, I just gravitated towards that. You know, Booker DeWitt is a completely different character. There's there's a little bit to me of uh, the the period, the era that this takes place in kind of plays to it. And, and that's written um, for that specifically. So, you know, you'll hear you know, terms that are, are a little more, um, you know, we wouldn't say dude and man and, and stuff like that. And we've had to be very cognizant of making sure that our our syntax isn't, you know, anachronistic, that it, that it plays to the period. But it, it's interesting because I've even gone, gone back and, and AB'd between, you know, some of The Last of Us and, and some of the Bioshock stuff that's come out. And I don't hear Joel in it and I don't hear Booker in, in The Last of Us. It's It's kind of, a, you know, I've been able to kind of be like, wow, that's, I, I successfully pulled that off. But it certainly is something that we've had to be aware of because I don't want people to, I want people to look at the characters. I don't want them to look at the actor. 
And that's one of the things I love about being a voice actor or, you know, you know, an actor in a video game is being able to really just let the characters um, stand for themselves. It's hard to do in film because you see Brad Pitt in that character or you see um, Liam Neeson in that, you know, it's, it's hard to divorce yourself because visually you're being presented with one thing when you're trying to accept them as another. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so which game, Last of Us or Bioshock, allows you the most freedom to define your own character? Um, it's really, really hard because, again, it's, it's two different approaches to, to two very, very different things. And I think with The Last of Us, it's... Um, I definitely feel like I get... I get to help mold that character because they're basing, they have an idea for Joel, but they cast me and they cast Ashley because of what we brought to that role, because of what we made them look like. We showed them what the role looked like and they have adapted it since then. With Ken, because of the game, um, there's a very specific thing that, that Ken is trying to accomplish. And so it, it's great working within those parameters because I get to go, okay, this is where the guy has to be. How do I move inside of that? And how do I take ownership of that? So it's, it's really kind of looking at it in, from, from two different perspectives and, and, and approaching it from two different angles. Okay. Is that an answer? Passes. Yeah. That makes it, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Where's everyone going? Why are they leaving Los Angeles? People will always wonder. It's, it's great. It's, you know, it's a great little... And I've got this great balcony that I that I like to hang out at. You know, it's almost like sipping my coffee, and it's it sucks that during the day because you hear the flyover traffic. Not for kids. Off. This this podcast because of the language. We apologize in advance. Oh, they knew what they yeah. were getting into. <laughs> you <laughs> knew what it was. Peggy eighteen. Peggy eighteen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Gonna slap that on the start of this. And that's that's the other thing is you know with Last of Us you know it's. You know, there was some crass humor. You know, one of my favorite lines from Uncharted 3 was like, you know, when they're climbing up a ladder and he looks at um, uh, Chloe's ass, he's like, it's a shame you have to sit on something that's so pretty. You know, and <laughs> yeah. you, you've, you've, got, you've got these crass kind of innuendo, light, fun humor moments. Mm. And as you saw in the demo, I mean, Jimmy Fallon commented on it. was like, they had to bleep the crap out of that game because it's – the language in it is – it's not again. It's not gratuitous, but you wouldn't be like, "Oh, shucky darn!" If somebody was attacking you, it, it, you would you would be dropping some major expletives yeah. in that situation. So it's it's really interesting to go from from the makers of Jack and Dexter, you know, to yeah. to this. You know, it's like it, it's pretty it's pretty uh, gut wrenching. What's your favorite project you've ever worked on? Um. Wow. Again, with the Sophie's Choice questions. Uh, I, I really got to say, and you know, we've we've taken obviously a little bit of a hiatus from from Bioshock, and so um, you know, a lot of times it's whatever shiny new toy you're playing with is your is your favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love I love working on um, Bioshock. Last of Us, we're so t- entrenched in it right now, and and it's uh, it's it's really really coming together, and and I, I really think that for a lot of reasons, Last of Us is going to be one of the best projects I've ever worked on. That being said, to be a part of something like Bioshock um, is that's like a, it could be a Citizen Kane of, of video games just because of the 
the content and the nature and, and the, again, the critical um, acclamations that it has. Um, Saints Row is, has been one of the most fun projects for, for, for me to work on. And we've just, we've been continually doing it. You know, we've got the Saints point or Saints 3.5 coming up into the dominatrix, which is going to be out soon for DLC. And it's just that, that I've had a lot of influence on the character because the writing C. Jaros writes the hell out of that game. And so we've had a lot of influence uh, on that because he's like, dude, fuck it, take it and make it your own, whatever, you, whatever you want to do. And, and he gives me a lot of latitude. Um, I'm going to list like top five. Catherine, absolutely loved Catherine hmm. because you know here's here's Atlas this little developer that could that would have been happy if they sold 200,000 copies and they blew past that and for a small Japanese developer with you know the Persona series and the Trauma Center series to be able to do something like that that's really impressive and they took an everyday natural scenario embellished it and turned it into a fantastic game, a super, super challenging game, but with great characters, great dialogue, great story that you cared about. And essentially, it's about a guy trying to choose between this hot, you know, big titty blonde and the girl that's, you know, more like you're going to have a life with this one. You bang this one. You marry this one. That's the game and the dreams that you have because of it. That's an interesting game. Hmm. And we worked forever hmm. on that. And they really, again, they, they really let me take ownership of, of Vincent. And I'm forever grateful for them. Um, Final Fantasy XIII, that, that to me was a benchmark game for me to be a lead in a, in a title of that caliber. Um, that I knew things were going to change after that. I, I knew that something people were going to... Because I had I, done stuff before, but to be able to you know, be at the helm of a game like that, that was huge. And that really marked, oh, this guy, that kind of popped me out above a lot of people. And it's, it's again, I'm super fortunate, super lucky. Um, lastly, one of my favorite moments um, that I've done in, in a video game uh, was in the Last Brothers in Arms game, Hell's Highway. Um, and you can YouTube it if you haven't played the game or play the game because it's really, really good. Uh, but the final cinematic, which is a 10-minute cinematic, which is super long for a game, um, is this scene between this character, Red, who's my best friend, and my character, Matt Baker. And uh, just to give you a, a, a brief history into it, um, Red, Heartsock was played by the original um, audio lead at Gearbox, a guy named Dave McGarry. And Dave and I knew each other from the music scene. And we were super close friends, like just just that like intimate brother you know relationship that that friends have. And he brought me into the game, and and we had a huge falling out um, over a girl, basically. And and we hadn't seen each other for several years. And the first time that we saw each other was in the booth doing that scene. And we're reading together, and it's this gut wrenching scene where I had to tell him that his back's broken that our friends are dead and that he's going home and all of this shit that we went through, I finally get it. I finally understand what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a soldier. Hmm. And we're just looking at each other and there's all this subtext of, of our actual relationship underlying. And we were just ended up crying and like, you know, get out of the booth, go, I love you, man, you know, and hugging. So (laughs) every time I watch that scene, I, I look at it through those eyes and um, so it's like one of my favorite scenes that, that, that I've ever done. And it's, uh, yeah, 
it was a really cool scene. So those games, I mean, I, again, to be able to to call a favorite, it's it's so hard because I mean everything from Call of Duty to you know Catherine to to you know Arkham City, you know, being in a, a game like that, playing a character like Two Face and Robin. I mean, that's that those are banner banner things. Um, so so this yeah. podcast doesn't make it to the top five. So which one? This this podcast? Yeah. You said in video games. Don't you bait and switch like that? <laughs> he does this all the time, Troy. It's just... Gotcha. I said favorite things you've ever done, ever in your life. Well, this podcast clearly is it. Thank you. Brilliant. Oh, jeez. There's the money shot right there. Very quickly about Fun Fancy 13, Troy. When I was playing it, I, I really enjoyed it initially, but I think, as you said near the start of, of the interview, that it, it did get quite... It, it it became more of a slog the more it went along because it was it was a very long game. Um, thirteen or thirteen two. Thirteen. Okay. Now, I liked all the characters, but there was one that, that just got on my nerves so much. Hope. Hope. Yep. <laughs> was that the same with you? Yeah, I mean every. But I mean honestly, that's that's kind of intrinsic to the character. Yeah, you I know, mean obviously it's, kudos it's... to the to the voice actor. He obviously did a great job portraying this character because he. I suppose he was meant to be quite annoying. Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, putting into the context of a Japanese culture, um, it, it, they're, they're, all the characters are archetypes, you know, and what I love about it is there's juxtaposition within those. Like Snow is supposed to be this super machismo, you know, do bro man. And, but then at the heart of him, you see what drives him throughout the entire game is his love, is this very soft you know, uh, gentle warrior spirit that he has for Sarah. Mm. And, and so to have those juxtapositions to where you have Hope, who is this annoying little pissant that you want to kick off your shins <laughs> all the time, yeah. you, you realize that he is actually one of the strongest, one of the bravest warriors of them all. And you really see that in one of those final scenes where he and Snow fight. You know, there's, he's, Hope's, Hope's a badass. And it's his coming of age tale, and everyone else is already there. And Hope is thrown into the situation and has to hang with the likes of Lightning and Fang and and Vanille and Snow, and even Saz. So I mean, if if you were in that kind of motley crew, you would have to, you a your annoying factor would be elevated because everyone else is pretty chill, and everyone else is pretty much a badass. And you're just you just lost your mom, dude. I mean. Give the kid a break, <laughs> you know. He, he can he can try a little bit. It's like, oh, your mom just died. Yeah, we'll suck it up, kid. Shit happens, you know. So it's it's, I but I understand. Hope got on my nerves, and I think that actually played to Snow's relationship with Hope. It's like, God, kid, grow a pair, move on. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it course, wasn't just it was, me. No, 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 no. It was it was pretty much unilaterally. <laughs> Great. Um, do you think that video games will ever be appreciated alongside films in the future? I love this question because um, Brian Bloom, who is a dear friend, an amazing actor and writer, um, he wrote A-Team, um, uh, was asked the question, do you feel that video games will ever be able to bridge the gap with film? And I would nominate Brian Bloom to be the next Dalai Lama. He's just so incredibly... Um, just gentle, even though he's just badass that could kill anybody. Um, he said, I don't understand the question. And they said, well, I mean, do you, do you ever think that, that 
that you know film or video games will be able to bridge the gap with with film and he goes brother film is on the shoreline staring into the distance at where video games are at we're already there films need to catch up to us because if you look at it a film is observational i'm not a participant even if it's 3D, I'm watching that, and it is on rails. It is going to go in one direction whether I want it to or not. Mm. And I can choose to close my eyes and, and not like this part or not watch this part. I can have my opinion about it. But essentially, it is presented to me as a single static piece of art. Video games, I get to choose what happens. I get to control the main character. I get to control how the story unfolds. And if you start getting into RPGs, holy crap, man. I can have, even even with Heavy Rain, I gotta, I gotta give this to, to David Cage. People played that game and had totally different endings. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you may get one or two alternate endings to a movie because they didn't make the director's cut, but that's, that's the way games are played. If I wanna sit like if I want to be Nate Drake and I want to search out every little lost idol in this jungle instead of going forward, I can do that. I control the pace. So to me, films are are kind of a little bit um, stagnant. They're great, and I'm a huge cinephile. I'll watch. I watch John Carter of Mars just because I wanted to see it. I'm that guy. I'll watch any movie, but to me, if I want an immersive experience. Video games are the only thing that offer that. Not books, not film, not TV. And I love Game of Thrones. And I love Deadwood. And I love these shows. Hmm. But so far, it's a completely different thing. So to me, films need to catch up to where video games are at. Even with the writing. The writing in Last of Us would stand out as an Oscar-winning, worthy movie. If it was, if it was adapted to a movie. Yeah. Which is why a lot of video games are now being adapted into, into movies. Hmm. Definitely. But how how long until most of the public will agree with that and also see that games are can be valuable? It, it's happening, and I think um, we're even seeing it within you know Hollywood is is kind of leading the way with this because you've got big name directors that are either adapting video games into films or you've got big name directors that are wanting to direct games or you have celebrities that are now really into games they're they're either gamers themselves or or they see this as a viable artistic outlet for them ellen page Um, ellen page you know Mm -hmm. that's that's a kind of a big thing you Mm -hmm. know to have a oscar nominated actress in a video game um and and for them to be saying it's starring ellen page yeah um but i i think that you know, if we're if we're counting on the video game awards to to be something that puts it into the mainstream public and say take us seriously, um, that's that's not where it's going to come from. It's it's going to come from people playing and talking and and us understanding that a gamer is not the kid that lives in his basement of his mom's house that's got a Slurpee in one hand and playing a game in the other. That's not a gamer. A gamer can be someone who sits down and plays Angry Birds. You're a gamer. You're at a very low level, but you're a gamer. And <laughs> There, there, it's it's not no longer this pop, you know, uh, very eccentric culture. I think I always want to be a diehard. I always want to have that nerd badge of honor that I that I'm a gamer and I've been playing. I've been, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. I've gotten those trophies. But I, I think that once people understand that it's not just it's no longer video games, but it's a, this experience. That's what's going to propel this into something that the public goes. This is this is art, you know. I want Roger Ebert to go. Okay, I was wrong. 
you know, if you, I don't understand how Roger Ebert can look at Shadows of the Colossus and not say that's art. That's art. It's it. There's, uh, this is a whole other conversation, but <laughs> it, it's a huge debate about whether video games can be considered art, and I don't know. It, it, it all depends upon your definition of art, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> I definitely believe that the public, once once you have a, a video game that is doing better than Avatar, that the public stands up and takes notice. I would never would have done interviews with CNN and MSNBC and USA Today and all of these you know pretty high profile publications if if video games weren't looked at from an entertainment standpoint as a very, very viable medium. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so we only have a couple of listener questions here. Don't worry. Uh, and, then, and then we're done. So the first one is Mark McAnally. And he's poking fun. He says, the video game industry isn't big enough for two successful voice actors. Are you trying to replace Nolan North? <laughs> it's so funny because... Uh... You know, I, I saw Nolan last night, and, and Nolan is very much of a mentor to me. Um, I was a fan of Nolan's before he and I were friends, and now we're drinking buddies. You know, we we, uh, we go out and we'll grab a beer or sit, and he really pours into me and, and, and gives me a lot of his expertise because I honestly don't feel there is anybody who is as talented, as versatile, as good as Nolan North. And, you know, people cast him as Nolan North, because of what he did in Nate Drake, and you saw that as Desmond in Assassin's Creed, and you saw it in Mafia 2 and Prince of Persia, and yeah. it's because he's so fucking good. And then he pulls out the Penguin, you know, in Arkham City, and people are like, what? He can do that? I'm like, you have no idea what Nolan is capable of. Mm -hmm. And we were joking. He was like, hey, I read your Joystick article, you know, and it was talking about, is Troy Baker the new Nolan North? And we both just laughed, and we're like, there is no new anybody. It's just, that's what people... You know, pull out. They're like, yeah. well, this guy was successful. Now this guy is successful. And next year or next month, it could be somebody else. All we know is that he is someone who really cares about games. I am someone who really cares about games and how they are made and how that that experience connects with 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 a player. And those are the people that I think are going to be as successful. You could have yeah. a huge Hollywood celebrity, but if it's not somebody that really is passionate about games, they're not going to get it. So. And, and Nolan's doing just fine. I ain't taking one bit of work away from that guy because he is still working his ass off. Yeah. So we're all we're all friends, and it's such a great community. So I, I appreciate – I take that as a compliment, but I'm certainly not the new anything. I'm, I'm, I'm just me. Well, Troy, next time you're drinking with, with Nolan North, ask him to do his, his semen voice because last time we interviewed him, he did that, and that – that's a piece of voice acting. Mm, it really is. It was quite uh -huh. something. We spoke to him a couple of years ago. We've been trying to talk to him again, but we can't get hold of him because he's too damn busy, as you said. Yeah, he's he's really really busy. Well, what would be great is is you know for us to get you know on the on the phone you know together and uh, just have the two of us you know grab a little bit of scotch and and just kind of. That that would be a great. I'm just telling you, that'd be a great podcast. You it'd guys be, should it'd yeah. be very long. <laughs> You should uh, ask him, and uh, we can record it. <laughs> the semen voice? All right. No, I mean, uh, if he's up for doing a, a dual interview. I'm sure he would be, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll hit him up and see if we can make that happen. That would yeah. be fantastic. Definitely get him to do yeah. the semen voice, though. That you, I think you'd okay. you like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to put it into any context, either, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, stands, it stands on its own merit, Wait, is what exactly, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It was for a fictional game that we were that we were trying to get made a couple of years ago um, called Lose Your Flower with Flow and it was a sex education <laughs> game it was a uh, 
what was it? It, it was a tower defense game where you piloted oh, a yeah. sperm cell. So oh, of course. That's, <laughs> so we were we were casting, and uh, Nolan Nolan got the part, but of course he did. Game didn't get made, so. It's a show. Yeah. Well, hey, now there's you know Kickstarter, so maybe you can. Oh, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. This game needs to be made. It does. It's just crying out for it. There's a hole in the market, and that's not you know, we did... fun. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. You know, I was I wasn't sure if you were going to pick up on that, or that was going to be the guy that actually pointed out. Uh, okay, so Greg Arellano. I don't know if that's how his name is pronounced. Did better. Uh, he's he's talking about Bioshock here. Can you tell us about the multiplayer? Have you recorded anything for it? Nothing so far. Um, and 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 Ken's kind of keeping that that under wraps as far as whether there will be multiplayer, how that will play out. Um, so I I'm the last person to be able to ask about that. And if if there is going to be a multiplayer element involved to it, I don't know anything about it. Um, but rest assured, if there is a multiplayer, it's Ken at the helm doing it, so it will be badass. Awesome. And uh, did the steampunk uh, inspirations? Oh, sorry. Where did the steampunk inspiration? Fucking hell, can't talk. Where did the steampunk inspirations come from, and do they influence your performance? Absolutely, um, they, they they do influence. Um, that is pretty much birthed out of you know the brain genius of of Ken Levine. It's such an interesting uh, you know alternate reality to to that time period and that's what i love about it because you have this uh you know jules verne-esque modernism in the in the midst of you know this booming industrial revolution and uh so i, I think that you know i think ken is kind of one of the the leading fathers of of, of steampunk and so much of, of steampunk has been inspired by bioshock there's a chick in new york that has a whole bioshock influenced steampunk apartment Wow. And it's wow. like this 1,800 square foot house, and it's like $1.8 million or whatever. I'm like, I, I, would, I, would, I would take that in a heartbeat. Um, so I, I love to see the elements of how that plays into it because it's, to me, what I love about um, steampunk is that you have the, the machinations of, of you know, modern engineering, but you get to see the guts and you really get to see how it works as opposed to it being you know, slick, clean, and polished. Um, so I, I love that that element is involved in Bioshock. This question comes from Miles Fall, and he says, considering the massive success of the Uncharted series and the impact Nolan North has had on the voice acting industry in relation to gaming, do you feel like you have big shoes to fill with Last of Us being Naughty Dog's first new IP since Uncharted? Huge shoes, absolutely. That's what I was saying. You know, there's 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 some fear and there's some pressure because not only last of us have so much hype media about it um and people are greatly anticipating the game but because of the success of uncharted people always want you know and naughty dog for themselves they they always want to be one-upping themselves and showing that they're constantly pushing the envelope and involve and evolving as a as a developer so there's huge shoes um not just from a game standpoint but from a performance standpoint because i yeah. look at what nolan did with nate drake and it's just such a great character that game would not be the same if it wasn't for nolan north doing nate drake you put anybody else in that role and it would be a totally different game so i that's my goal is i want someone to really connect with joel and ellie i i, I want someone to to feel as connected 
to those characters as they did with Nate Drake. So yeah, it's 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 huge, huge amount of pressure and big shoes to fill. So do you expect uh, your name to become as a household name just like his did after after his Naughty Dog game? Um, I th- I think that would be cool. Um, it's someone explained it to me. They said fame is when people know you. Notoriety is when people know your work. And I I definitely want to have notoriety, not necessarily fame. That's one of the beautiful things of, you know, being essentially a voice actor or, 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 you know, doing characters in a video game. Because I can walk around E3 and nobody has a freaking clue who I am. (laughs) You know, if if I was Nick Cage or whatever, I would be either assaulted or, you know, somehow (laughs) people would either like me or not like me. Um, So I I like the anonymity that that I still am able to have. And, you know, sometimes it's like, no, no, really, that's that's me. (laughs) I have to prove to Naughty Dog. I have to show that I'm Joel. Um, But so it's I I like that element to it. But, you know, if if someone is is feels strongly, it's either good or bad. And this is something that Nolan taught me. He was like, you can't believe the, the good because that means you have to take the bad as well. And it's just understanding that it's people's opinions. And if you feel good about your work, if you feel good about what you did, that's all that really matters. And I want people, whether they love it or they hate it, to connect with it. And if, if they associate me with that character, then that's a win because that means that I did something right, whether they hate it or love it. Yeah. Phil Armstrong asks, uh, is there a role that you tried out for but maybe didn't get? And oh. is there a role that you always wanted? Um, I, you know, this is kind of cool. Certainly there are roles that I tried out for that, that I didn't get. Um, uh, I remember uh, auditioning for Cole and in Infamous 2. Oh, and uh, it's, it's so funny because I, I, I had a callback. And so I'm reading with Graham McTavish, who, you know, in addition to several film credits, played Cutter in Uncharted 3 and played the bad guy in Uncharted 2. And, um, he, brilliant actor. And we're reading it together. And he looks at me and he goes, are you all right, mate? And I'm like, no. And he said my face was just totally white. And I had a 103-degree fever Jesus. in the middle of this, of this audition. And it was, it was terrible, terrible. And I love the guy that they got for Cole. I thought it was a great choice. But I really, really wanted that one because I was a huge fan of Infamous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, yeah, there are there are roles that I audition for all the time that I'm like, oh god, this would be great that you don't get. But you understand that I'm I'm at the place now where um, I'll, I'll recommend like I, I recommended Roger Craig Smith for some stuff. I'm like, yeah, he's genius. That this is who you need to get for this part because we all feel confident that we're going to keep working. And so you kind of are able to you know distance yourself from oh I should have gotten that. And I certainly never feel like I wish, I, or I could have done a better job than that person, because I just accept the role and the performance that that's presented to me. Um, there's there's certain roles that I've like um, that I've gotten that I'm like I've always wanted and I've got playing Batman in Lego Batman Two, which is the first Lego game that they voiced. That's huge. I love that. Um, playing Two Face in Arkham City. I mean, I, I grew up watching the animated series, and I love what Richard Mall did. As Two Face, um, playing you know jazz and, and Transformers. I mean, being in a Transformers game. So every role that I get um, is is kind of especially when it's tied to something in my childhood. That's that's always a squee moment. I'm, I fanboy out just just as hard as anybody else does because those are those are you know banner days. Those are those are great days. Mm. Well, those are all the questions we have for you, Troy. Guys, it's been awesome talking to you, and yeah. we'll see if we can make that conversation with Nolan happen. You know that that would definitely. be definitely yeah. 
That would be a lot of fun. That, that would make us very happy. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk with me, and, and um, definitely let's let's uh, let's get together, especially after you know either um, Bioshock comes out or, or in February or when Last of Us comes out, and blank. Because um, I'd love <laughs> I'd love to uh, I'd love to get your uh, your opinions on it afterwards. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Can't wait. Well, thank you very much, and best of luck with all your future endeavors. Yes. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Yes, yeah. You've been listening to the PlayStation Radio UK podcast. To find out more, go to www.playstationradio.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at PSRadioUK to keep right up to date. Can we can we clear something up though? Sure. Is your is your old name before you changed it Tyler Durden or is that just for a Fight Club <laughs> as a reference? I, I was such a huge Fight Club fan when like you know uh, Instant Messenger first started you know coming out and so that like took over my life for everything. Mm. Mm. And it's funny because you can find out people they're like I don't get it. You're like yeah we have nothing in common. We have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is done. Nice. Well, it's better than the uh, the current swathe of uh, of what, internet adding sixty nine. Yeah, <laughs> headshot king. Skater sixty nine at aol dot com. It's just such shit, isn't it? It is actually. Not to put too fine a point on it, but it is. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> so, what do you Yahoo's want to know? Everything. E- everything. Everything. Open up us. <laughs> Learn us of your ways. Sit at my feet and learn. <laughs> it was so funny because I was watching a... Um, uh, they just put up a, a new promo video for the fall of Cybertron. Right. And uh, they did a great interview with Peter Cullen. And which, you know, I mean, that, that's... I put up on Twitter, I was like, he is my adopted cartoon father. <laughs> just because he, he did more to raise me than my own parents did, I feel. But he's such such a good guy. And he... You know, there's some people that are like, oh, yeah, I do this voice or whatever. But he really he really takes not only Transformers but Optimus so – it's it's so dear to his heart. And he's so grateful and, and still is completely unaware of how important he is and how people don't accept anybody, would never accept anybody outside of that role other than him. Hmm. And, um, yeah, Transformers looks really, really good. I'm such a nerd, man. That was like – such a huge day to, to be in that. We're already. You realize we're already starting. This this this, this just happened. This this is it. I'm loading up on coffee again. Uh, you know, because it's morning and that's what I do. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, it's evening and that's what we do. <laughs> it's what time is it? Was it eight eight o'clock there? Is that right? Uh, six. Six. Yeah. Two hours ahead. What the hell is that? It's the coffee. Like hot, oh, I was going to say. Like sounds like a oh, transformer. It's uh, I have this, and I've really gotten spoiled too because coffee is near and dear to me, and and 
I, uh, I had this, I got hooked on this, this coffee maker in, in Japan. It's called an espresso, and it's like this, you put the little pods in there, and it yeah. kicks up coffee, and now it become like a coffee snob, so. Right. <laughs> if I start oh, talking nice. really, really fast in this interview, you guys will understand the source of this. <laughs> so, what do you like to have Espresso is good, really good. Nice. Okay, hang on, let me, let me pop it there then, see if you get it there. Oh shit, there it is. Right. <laughs> Oh, this is genius. <laughs> All right, so you're going to read with me? Would you like that? I would love that. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll give it a go. Should I do Ellie as Alan Rickman? Yes, by all <laughs> means, please, sir. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes. Well, this is fancy. You're damn right, Ellie. This is PlayStation Radio's UK headquarters. Ever stay in a place like this, you know, before it all went to shit? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stay in character. <clears throat> Sorry. Once, once, I was doing an interview a while back. It went pretty awesome. Those guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You're... Okay. Yeah, I miss him as all. We had such a great time. Was, whew, what a night. Holy shit, Joel. Pipe down, Ellie. What are you, like 13? You couldn't possibly understand. I love PlayStation Radio UK. Oh, do you, actually, do you want me Do you want me to record this at, at my home studio and then send it to you guys, email it to you guys? Would you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that way awesome. you get, you know, better fidelity. <laughs> Fidelity. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll record this for you guys too and send that to you because that would be um, that would that would be fantastic. I wanted you guys to have like the best quality. <laughs> okay. 